Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the Nasillacast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, February 10th, 2019, and this is show number 718. Well, before we dig into the show, I wanted to tell you about something amazing. I've worn glasses since I was around 12 years old. I'm nearsighted, so I can't see distance. Over the years, I've been informed that I had a pretty bad astigmatism in my right eye. For many years, I wore what's called a toric contact lens. Toric lenses have a different focusing power on the vertical and horizontal axes to compensate for the distortion of the astigmatism. Now, the tricky bit is that this lens has to be weighted so that it stays aligned properly. If it gets off axis, of course, everything gets all, you know, funhouse mirror looking inside your, in your vision. Well, that works reasonably well with contacts until you try to lie on your side to watch TV or read because it turns 90 degrees, which again gets back to the funhouse mirror thing. The best part, though, of the toric lenses is that they're also super expensive. Anyway, after about 20 years wearing contacts, I got old and I started to lose my close vision too. So I had to wear glasses over my contacts in order to see up close. I got weary of that and I said, okay, let's just go with glasses from now on. But about a year ago when I got my new prescription sunglasses, I explained to the optometrist that they hadn't made them properly because my vision was not clear out in the sun. I pointed out that they had made non-sunglasses with the exact same frames and they were fine, so clearly they did something wrong with those sunglasses. We all assumed it was because they hadn't gotten the axis rotated correctly to compensate for the astigmatism, so I made them remake them twice. Guess what? Turns out that wasn't the problem. I had actually gotten quite a good going cataract going in that eye and it was getting worse. The effect of the cataract is to scatter light, so when I looked at, say, a stoplight, for example, I would see an entire second light a full diameter away from the real one. And this, of course, was affecting my my vision out in bright light as well. But this is actually fantastic news. I'm sure you've heard of cataract surgery, and maybe you know someone who's had it done. Last Monday, I had that cataract removed, which means they actually take out the whole entire lens. I'll admit that it was a bit creepy to think of someone putting a knife in my eye and pulverizing the lens and then vacuuming it out. But in reality, the surgery took like five to 10 minutes and there was zero pain. I mean, I was in and out of the the uh, uh, center where they did the repair in about an hour and 45 minutes. Now, it turns out astigmatisms can be caused by the lens itself or the cornea that covers the lens. If you're lucky, it's just in the lens, so they pop in a new man-made lens and you no longer have an astigmatism. I wasn't that lucky. It happened to also be in the cornea. The good news is they can put in a permanent toric lens and that removes the astigmatism entirely as well. Now they have to anchor it in place so you don't have that same problem of a rotating lens. I have to tell you, my vision is amazing now. I chose a focal distance of 50 millimeters, which is about 19 inches in freedom units, as Marianne Gary would say. Turns out 19 inches is the distance to my computer screen. I can see the screen like I have never seen it before. It's like, I I feel like I went from a standard deaf television to an OLED 4K TV overnight. I can see people's pores. I took a photo of Tesla the other day and I kind of frowned at it because it looked like Apple's algorithms had seriously oversharpened the image. I showed it to Steve and to the kids. Steve said, no, that's normal. That's what it always looks like. This is unbelievable. I mean, have you ever had like a, a really nice new font that's like super crisp and clear and you really love it? It's like, that's what my whole world is like. 
I got to tell you, I'm programming by stealth about every two, two to three episodes. I complained to Bart about his website design. It was designed nearly a decade ago, and it isn't at all responsive. But worst of all, his font is wee tiny, and you can't embiggen it without the text falling outside of the fixed width of the main content. Now, he's been redesigning it, all using Bootstrap, of course, and it will be amazing, but I still whine at him all the time because we haven't gotten to see it yet. But guess what? I can read his blog now. I can even shrink the font. I told him I'll continue to push him, though, for everyone else who hasn't just received instantly improved vision. Now, the only problem with cataract surgery is that it takes about a month for your prescription to settle out. So for the next month, I can't get new glasses for distance vision. I obviously can't wear the old ones because that's not my prescription anymore. It's like wearing someone else's glasses. So for now, I've poked out the right lens and it looks really dumb. It's really hard to see with two different focal lengths on that. It's really hard. I also, I can't poke out the lens on my sunglasses, but get this. The vision is so good in my right eye that when the pupil narrows in bright light, I can actually see distance better in my new eye without correction at distance than I can with the left eye with correction. Guess why that is? Turns out my left eye has cataract too. Now all I have to do is convince my surgeon that it's bad enough to do that one too, and I will truly have stereo bionic vision. As you can tell, I'm super excited about this, and if you come to the live show... I didn't want you to be confused as to why I am no longer wearing glasses. Well, this week's Chit Chat Across the Pond is another installment of Programming by Stealth. In this episode, Bart Bouchot spends most of the time walking us very carefully through each of the methods he used to solve the challenge from last time. He does a great job of reminding us of things we've learned, in some cases more than a year ago, and showing how they were applied for this particular problem. I am quite proud of one little thing I discovered that Bart didn't know had been introduced in HTML5. It's one of those things where if you already know a tool, it's hard to learn the new stuff about it, but I didn't know any better and I found something he didn't know about. Anyway, after he was done walking through the challenge, he introduces bootstrap spinners. These are visual indicators that allow the user to to know that some operation is going on that's going to take some time and it lets them know that things aren't just broken. The whole episode was great fun. If you'd like to get on the Programming by Stealth train, just look for it in your podcatcher of choice or use the link in the show notes to listen along at podfeed.com. This week, I was a guest host on the SMR podcast with only Rod Simmons in attendance. We talked a lot of home automation. We discussed Facebook's heinous behavior with their research app. We talked about the scary keychain bug Bart will be telling you about in this show in Security Bits and how much Rod loves his new iPad and I complain about Apple. Check it out at the link in the show notes or look for the SMR podcast in your podcatcher of choice. Well, speaking of vision and glasses, this next interview from CES is pretty relevant. I'm in the IQ booth with Jamie Neal, and she's got these weird white glasses that have nothing in them on, and uh, and I don't understand what's going on here. What on earth are you demoing? Absolutely. So we have a product called Vision Check, just one honoree this year at CES, and it also um, comes with these crazy frames that you see here. Um, So... 
This is called Vision Check, which measures your refractive air. Um, so you can order glasses online with the results. And it also comes with PD Check, which are the frames. And it will measure your pupillary distance. So that is the distance between the center of your pupils, which is important to know when you're ordering glasses online. Because even if your prescription is correct and your pupillary distance is not entered correctly, your glasses will seem fuzzy. They may give you headaches. You may feel nausea even. Um, so it's just a bad bad situation. So this so is going to... two different things. One is yes. the is these uh, weird clear glasses. Should I yes. put these on or are yeah. these your... Okay. On, We're going to put these on because that'll make me look silly. So they're a nice, stylish, uh, bright white. Ooh, I can't see anything. Cause do I look good? Goes good with it my uh, good my with white, white shirt. Yeah. All right. Can't see anything, but that's great. That's fine. <laughs> All right. What do I need to see for? So this is part of it. So this is going to measure the distance between my pupils. And how do you actually do that? Absolutely. So all of our products come um, along with an app, which is free. Um, so for this, you're gonna down. You're gonna use the app um, called PD Check as well. PD check. So yeah. pupil dist- pupillary distance, distance check. check. Exactly. And I heard you say to the previous guy that'll be available tomorrow, right? Yes. So on PD Kicks- check online. Yeah. Online. We're going to have our Kickstarter, which starts tomorrow as well. The frames go for $12.99, but you can get them cheaper on Kickstarter. And we also have an Indiegogo campaign ending in 10 days for Vision Check. And that comes with both of them together. Okay. Yep. So you're going to just open the app, hit continue. All right. And then you're going to see the, this funky oval. And right, you want to get your... This, let's do it this way. Okay. We'll turn it towards turn it towards me so he can see it. Okay. I'll do that. She's got to be looking at you. Yeah, I was going to take it of you. Do you... Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, not front-facing camera, the back-facing yeah, camera. Yeah, you can do either one. Oh, That's no, let's do front-facing front where facing? we do it on me. Okay. So that way we can do this, right? Yes. Okay. So, so we're going to get that in the middle. Yes. And then you want to center a little bit more. Closer? Oh, oh, oh. No, just make sure that the frames are in. So one, two, three. I'm too ugly. I won't take it. Okay, maybe the frames weren't all in. There, there you, you go. go. Oh, that's nice looking. I've got green uh, crosshairs on my eyes. That's good. And I was talking and I look, oh, that's nice. So what you'll do is you want to make sure that the T's are overlapping on the T's on the frame. Oh, so she's sliding this little yep. green T up and around. So, oh, so that's giving the absolute reference with the glasses, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Sorry. <gasps> well, I think we get the idea. So, at the yes. end of this, you'd hit confirm. Yes. And then it would tell, what does it tell you? Show Your that PD. to him. So, it says 82, but we rushed through the. <laughs> and it's down on my cheek. It's down on her cheek. But, okay, so yes. with that, then you would save that information, and then you can enter that online when you're ordering glasses exactly. online. Exactly. So you want to do a Warby Parker, for example. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, Warby Parker will require a prescription. Other websites like Zenny Optical, iBuyDirect, you can enter your own information, uh, oh, okay. even wow. even your prescription. So um, those are the sites that we I recommend. I should not have that responsibility. <laughs> Okay, and then what is this other, the other device, the vision check? What, yes. Can we see that? Absolutely. Right, she's stealing one from behind the uh, display there. Okay, so this is a uh, uh, piece of optics that looks like it attaches to the front of the screen on your phone. Exactly. Um, so this little device here, you're going to just use the, sorry, you can hold it up for me. I'm, I'm holding it nicely for the camera while you get Wonderful. the phone going. Is this actually going to check your prescription? Yes. Oh, come on. It's going to give you your refractive air. 
which is what you need to order glasses online. Oh, you don't know how fun, how fun house my glasses are. So she's got uh, the app up, and she's sticking this uh, this thing onto the uh, screen. Yep. She's got a little uh, rubber gasket thing. She's going to wrap around it, yep. and that's going to turn her phone off. So then we won't be able to do Face ID when it comes back up, and you won't be able to get to the uh, buttons. Okay, good. All right. All right. So now it's sticking out at uh, 90 degrees from the screen. Do I have to keep these tea glasses on? No, though? you do not. You can okay. take those off. I like off. them. Okay. Okay. So what you're going to see is. We're gonna let's let's just do one of my eyes. We don't yep. need to do them both. Just see the basic idea. You're gonna see a red and green line, and your goal is to overlap to make one yellow line. Once you do that, you're gonna hit the next button on the device, and then it's gonna rotate, and you do the same thing over again. So you do that several times on your right eye, several times on your left eye, and then it's gonna give you what we call eyeglass numbers. Those are gonna be the numbers that you use to go on websites like Zenny Optical, iBuyDirect to order glasses online. Is this going to work with an astigmatism? Yes, it measures uh, spherical, um, cylindrical, and it will give you the axis of where your astigmatism occurs. Wow, maybe it will do my funhouse eyes. Well, let's give it a challenge, shall All we? Right, let's okay, do it. so I'm going to use these uh, two buttons to move the lines for yes. farther and closer this together. Closer, further away, rotate. Okay. Oh, rotate. Oh, that's later. Okay. Yep, that's later. All right, you hold the mic in case I say anything interesting. Yep. Okay, so I'm looking through it, and I see, let's see, closer is this one? Yeah. So it's like a touch sensor, yeah? Oh, you I hear, see. you feel the haptics? Oh, I was haptics. pushing real hard. Yeah, <laughs> just tap. Okay, closer, closer, closer. That's almost there. Almost there, all right. I think it's almost there. Kind of hard because I can't focus very good to see what it is. Okay, I think that's good. All right. So then I hit rotate. Okay. Rotate. Oh, wait, this one's rotate? Yep. There you go. Oh, now wow. go through it again. Now they're really crooked and crazy looking. Is one of them supposed to be like an oval? Like an oval? Okay. Nope. You should just see the two red and green lines and okay, overlap so I them. Keep, I keep doing it. Yep. Oh, okay. It's doing all kinds of different angles. This is probably not that interesting because you guys, you guys can't see what I'm seeing, but it's really fun. Yeah. It, it's almost like a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think I get the idea. I wonder yeah. if you can see inside that, Steve. Can you see inside it? I'll line it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're actually moving the lines. That's right. Yeah. That is yeah. really, really interesting. So that's how it works. So this combined with um, the PD check frames, it's essentially an all-at-home eye care solution. Uh, you can get glasses online, and you don't even have to leave your couch. Wow, that's pretty crazy. So how much is this going to cost when it's in production? Yeah, so it is $59.99 MSRP, but on uh, Indiegogo, you can get it for $35 right now. That's a little cheaper than an eye doctor visit. Yeah, it is. Do you have to be registered as a medical device or anything like that? So we are registered... Um, with the FDA as uh, 510K, so we're non-invasive, low risk, so we, we have that squared away. Um, and we also, you know, we're using MIT patented technology, so as far as the science perspective goes, this works. Very good. Well, thank you very much. And uh, how would people find this? Yeah, just find us at www.iq, that's spelled E-Y-E-Q-U-E dot com. Thank you.
Well, that was pretty cool. I'm not sure I believe in it. Um, it'll be really interesting to see whether this is maybe a really disruptive technology that's going to change the way we get our eyeglasses prescription. You know, it's really important to go to the eye doctor, get your eyes checked out like once a year because you kind of really want those things to work as long as you can. So I'm not sure it's the greatest idea to bypass going to the eye doctor. Plus, they give you a prescription and you can take it anywhere you want anyway. I'm not really sure whether this solves a problem we should be avoiding the eye doctor. Anyway, let's listen to the next interview. So I was drawn to the Votion booth because you have a sign that says, uh, MF, what does it say? MFI Licensed Manufacturing. And MFI stands for Made for iOS is the original term. But it basically means HomeKit compatibility. And a lot of companies have had trouble getting into this market. It sounds like Samuel Lau of Votion is uh, working on solving that problem for other manufacturers and for yourselves, right? Yes. Uh, we have two companies. One is called Active, which is the MFI licensee. Um, we help other companies um, ODM and OEM their products and, and allow them, them to to uh, work with the uh, HomeKit platform to integrate this part um, and submit their product plan so that they could um, get their products uh, uh, accepted and approved to the, to the Apple um, ecosystem. Okay, that's, that's very good. So that's the active part of the company. Yes. And then what is Votion? Votion is our, our own brand. Um, we have a line of products that supports uh, various um, uh, voice-based systems now, you know, the, the big three, uh, HomeKit, Alexa, and Google Assistant. Um, for our, our, our lines of products, uh, we have the Wi-Fi based and the uh, Bluetooth based products. The Wi-Fi based products, we will include all three. And for Bluetooth part, it's, it's HomeKit only. Because oh, Alexa, interesting. Yeah, Alexa and Google Assistant don't have that extra step for the Bluetooth part. So um, we have a distinction. For battery based system, we use Bluetooth and the uh, AC power system, we have uh, Wi-Fi. Yeah, one of the nice things about being able to do it over Bluetooth is it's a lot faster in your house because it's not going up to the internet and coming back down like it does with Google and, and Alexa. And Bluetooth right? is good; it's that it it saves a lot of power, so it's, it's all battery based. But the limitation that it, it, it doesn't have that extra step to to link to the cloud. Okay, great. Well, let's walk across this wall here uh, to the audio listeners. We're standing against a wall where he's got a bunch of lift different devices. What do we got up here above here? Yeah, so we have a motion sensor and light sensor. This here is an IR um, sensor that could detect movement. Um, it also has a light sensor to detect if it's a, a, a daytime or nighttime. So we could trigger some smart in saying if it's nighttime, we will have an LED actually at the back to give you some light during the stairs or, or um, yeah, so you can have that. That, oh, sometimes a nightlight just makes people exactly. happy. I know people like the Nest Protect thermos or uh, uh, smoke detectors because it gives you a nightlight. It seems yep. like a extra, funny thing. Yeah. That we want to throw so in. because that's HomeKit compatible, you could then create an automation yeah. that said, when I sense motion, make exactly. take this other action, yeah. turn and, on a light. And you can set a timeout for like 10 seconds for the light to keep on glowing until uh, I think you pass this area, then you can shut it down. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, now I'm going to get down on my knees here for a leak sensor. Yep. Leak sensor is for uh, detecting water, water uh, leakage, like if there's a flood. You will be able to detect. Um, uh, oh, it's a flood! You can send a, talk, uh, a notification to the user saying that you may want to move the stuff. You know. Okay, this so way. Yeah. I might want that one of these next to my uh, water heater. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Just make sure that you don't have a lot of water uh, in the nearby area. Well, that would be a good thing. Okay. Oh, wait. A smart water valve. What are we yeah. doing here? So Speaking of water. Yeah, water. So you, you. This is uh, basically a valve to to open and close the water to go through. So if you have a sprinkler system attached to it, or even a uh, a tub that you want to fill, you will be able to do this remotely. So oh, really? Yeah, so open the water, basically letting the water in. in, in. It's a gate to, to let the water out and close it. So what do you, what do you hook this up to? To a uh, like like this is, could be the um it could be the uh, your your tap, you know, and the tube to go out. Oh, interesting. Okay, what do we got down here? Uh, the soil, soil moisture. Mus- yeah, just to uh, detect the uh, fertility of the uh, soil to make sure that. Uh, 
uh, your, your, your soil is uh, moist enough and you, need to, you don't need the watering. So you can, you can link these two. So if, if you, the, the soil is too dry, you can add more water. So oh, neat, so, neat. So, I like add, it. Add a, add a now we got a remote hub. So we're working on a remote hub to um, uh, simulate a uh, 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 remote control. So in, in, for a lot of, um, for a lot of uh, con- air conditionings, they doesn't have a, a, a smart in it. So it doubles up as a, as a uh, remote control uh, device that you could uh, trigger remotely for okay. Wi-Fi. Okay. All right. And a smart light switch. Yeah, you got to have switch. a smart light switch, yep. right? So light switch to, to turn on, turn on the, the relay at the back to trigger. Could be lighting or, or even fans or anything um, AC. I like it. All right, an all-purpose button. Yeah, there we go. But it could be it could be linked to anything. So it, you could use it for uh, single click, double click, long click to assign it to various things that you want to happen. So you could say single click, turn turn on the water valve. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or or double click to 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 turn on the light. I've heard that these are often useful in homes where somebody's a geek but somebody is not, yeah, it, and they matter. just want to hit the switch yeah, to exactly. turn the light on or, and off. Or you can link it to a scene. So you could, uh, uh, a certain uh, keystroke would, would give you a, a certain uh, special scene to to for the for your uh, environment. All right, we got two more down here. Smart electrical switch for the fuse box. Yeah. So instead of um, uh, for a light switch, you some user may want to put this at the fuse box area. So instead of the end point where the light is, you could put it in the fuse box area. When the installer gets everything mapped out and at the back end, so so you you get your 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 house all mapped out. This region will be all based on this switch, so you can all work work the wiring at the back end and get the same benefits on on the switch outside. So at the end of the day, you probably don't even need like switch at your rooms anymore because it's all done at the back end. Oh, that's an interesting solution. I haven't seen that. And a smart outlet. That's really pretty. Smart outlet. Um, Power outlets for and uh, to giving AC control for turning on uh, fans, uh, anything light, you know. Uh, and there's also metering inside, so you can uh, get the power usage. Well, it looks like Votion has one of everything. How yeah. how would people find out more about these products? Yeah, you can check it uh, our website at www.votion.io. Votion.io. That's V-O-T-I-O-N. Thank you very much, you. Samuel. You know, home automation is kind of like a sickness. First, you get a couple of light bulbs and you do party tricks like, you know, changing them from blue to green. Then you realize that doesn't really solve any problem. But in the back of your brain, that little virus starts to fester. and You realize maybe there is a good use for them. Maybe being able to turn them on and off when you're not home will make people think you are home. Perhaps you get a motion detector and the lights magically turn on when you walk into the room. Then you start thinking about HomeKit scenes or maybe you want to play with IFTTT. You know, you think, ah, if I only had a smart thermostat, I could blink my lights when the temperature got too hot and send me a notification on my phone so I could trigger the fan so my dog doesn't overheat. It starts pretty small and pretty soon you're one of us. To date, Steve and I have installed Hue Lights, Hue Motion Detector, four wise cams, an August door lock, ring video doorbell, floodlight cam and spotlight cam solar, LifeX life strip, Wemo switches, three iDevices switches, Rachio smart sprinkler, two Nest protect smoke alarm, CO sensors, Ecobee thermostat, and at least one device that we can't identify. It's on our network and we can't find it. Anyway, there's probably more than that. They seem to replicate like tribbles. With this many automated devices, you think I'd be content. But there was one thing I've been wanting a smart alarm system. Unfortunately, it was hard to articulate the problem it would solve. You see, we have a built-in alarm system from 1989 when the house was constructed. The stupid thing still works flawlessly. You know the kind of problem I'm talking about, like when your 720p won't, TV won't fail and you really want a 4K TV? It's like that. 
Well, the built-in alarm system that we have has sensors on all of the doors and windows, a keypad upstairs, one downstairs, and one in the garage. And it lets off a heck of an alarm in the attic when we accidentally open a door when it's armed. Tight story about why that's cool. We have a skylight on which crows love to crack things open. One time they had a big dog biscuit in the shape of a bone up there and they're whacking it on the, on the, uh, on the skylight. And the problem is the sound in the house is crazy loud and it really sounds like someone's inside the house. One time Steve wanted them to knock it off. So we armed the house and purposely opened a door. Fixed that crow problem for nearly 10 minutes. Well, the only thing this alarm system can't do is be remotely armed and disarmed. We had trouble justifying a whole new alarm system just for that one feature. We were, however, interested in having a monitoring service. We'd never enabled that one on the old one because it was enormously expensive back then. When we went through the bathroom remodel of Doom, trademark Donald Burr, we realized there really was a problem to be solved. We gave our two main contractors access to our August lock so they could remotely unlock our door for the plethora of subcontractors such as painters, plumbers, and drywall guys. But since we had a dumb alarm from the 1980s, we had to leave our house unalarmed for five months. Notice I didn't tell you that back when it was happening. Mama didn't raise no fool. I started trolling around for what all the cool kids were buying these days. I knew a few people who had opted for the Simply Safe system. Simply Safe, let me say that correctly. Anyway, and it looked pretty cool. The monitoring price still looked pretty high to us at $15 a month. Since we'd never had monitoring before and hadn't had a problem, it seemed like $180 a year was pretty steep. I'm sure if we'd ever had a problem where monitoring saved us, $180 per year would sound like pennies. But then I started hearing about how Ring had come out with an alarm system. Here's why their system was more attractive to us. The business model of Ring is designed to slowly let you give them all of your money. Let's say you buy just the Ring video doorbell, the gateway drug. For no fee at all, you can always get motion detection and alerts when someone rings your doorbell and view live video from your doorbell. You can even interact with the person at your doorstep from anywhere in the world. But for only $30 a year, you can have motion and other interactions automatically recorded and view them later. 30 bucks. That's peanuts, right? 30 bucks a year? Sure, give them 30 bucks. Well, you love your Ring video doorbell, so now you decide to buy the Ring floodlight cam. Again, you get motion alerts and live video for free, but if you want to play back events later, that'll cost you a second $30 a year. Now you're starting to think, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's 60 bucks a year. But you really want that camera, and you can shut that little voice up by saying, if the doorbell was worth $30 a year, why wouldn't the backyard camera be worth $30 a year? Sure, pay it. And then you put in the Spotlight Cam Solar to watch your side yard. Turns out to be really easy to justify that $30 a year. The reason the third $30 a year is so easy to justify is that once you hit 100 bucks a year, the cost never goes up again. So at 90 bucks per year, you feel like the next thing you add is going to be free. That's good, but it gets even better. If you get the Ring Alarm System, they have what they call the Protect Plus plan. This is $100 a year, gives you actual human monitoring, and covers video storage of all of your other Ring devices. Since we have three Ring cameras already, that means we get human monitoring of our alarm for only an additional $10 per year. See how I justified that? Only costs us 10 bucks because I'm already giving them 90. You throw this uh, cam- the uh, uh, Protect Plus plan in and you turn off all those other $30 a year. So it only, only felt like 10 bucks a year. Well, with all this justification finally out of the way, I bought Steve the Ring alarm for Christmas. 
I started with a big combo pack from Costco, which was a much better deal than buying all of the pieces separately. The current price at Costco for the 10-piece kit is $240. That gets you the hub, keypad, range extender, motion detector, and six contact sensors. Amazon now owns Ring, so I'll also give you a link to that starter kit on Amazon. For $200 US, you get, uh, I'm sorry, a starter kit. It's just a starter kit. And that one is $200. You get the hub, keypad, one sensor, and a motion detector. Now talk about a starter kit. Who has one window or door? We needed 14 sensors, two keypads, and we'll probably buy a third. Now your needs are going to vary, of course, from mine. I ended up buying eight more sensors and the extra keypad directly from Ring for another $300. Ring does have a lot of different combo kits, up to and including a 14-piece kit, but oddly, those are only available at ring.com. You can't get them at Amazon or at Costco. Now, I know I've thrown a whole bunch of numbers out here, so let's talk about grand total. For all the pieces I bought, I spent $540. That's not a small expense. I priced out the same combination of devices on SimpliSafe, and it came out to $500. So the price was pretty much equivalent for the two companies. Now, remember, Ring's Protect Plus recurring cost is only around $8 a month, which is around half of what you'd pay for SimpliSafe's monitoring. So I'm still going to be ahead over time. Okay. Enough about costs. How does this work? Ring has three separate modes to the alarm system. The keypad has a ring with three buttons 60 degrees apart around the ring. We had to put labels on them because the icons weren't all really meaningful and because you can't see the the ring lights. When the ring lights up, it lights up bright red. And when you're trying to disarm it, you can't see those little icons because the glow is so bright. Well, the first mode they have, so I said there's three modes. The first mode is called disarmed. I bet you can figure out what that means. It's pretty obvious. It means you can open any window or door and the alarm won't go off. However, the Ring software lets you designate some doors as main doors. When a main door is open, the hub that you've connected to your router lets off this very pleasing boop boop noise, even when the house isn't alarmed or armed, I guess it is. Uh, so let me tell you an example of a problem this solved for me. Shortly after we set up the ring alarm, I tried to convince our dog Tesla to go outside. I opened the back door, but since it was sprinkling outside and she's a California girl, she refused to go outside. I shut the sliding glass door and I went upstairs. I was playing on my computer when I heard the hub in the next room go, boop, boop. Well, wait a minute. Tesla was right next to me and Steve was at the door. I knew exactly what had happened. My idiot cats, Ada and Grace, must have opened it. I race downstairs, and sure enough, both cats are frolicking around outside in the rain. I'm sure I must have slid the door almost closed, enough that the sensor was engaged, but I'd left a crack just small enough for a tiny cat paw. I can only picture the two of them pulling on the door together to drag it open. That's the weird part. They're ultra strong when they want to get outside. In any case, you see how this works. Now, my only wish is that the little boop-boop could be heard throughout the house, but the noise only comes out of the hub that's upstairs plugged into the router. The ring doorbell and cameras have a little chime that goes off when they sense motion, and you can plug those in anywhere. Why can't those chimes, or a device like it, make the boop-boop noise for me too? I'm sorry, boop-boop noise for me too. All right, that's disarmed. Armed is the second mode. When the ring is alarmed, is armed, if any window is open, the alarm will go off immediately. This is also true of doors that are not designated as main doors. If a main door opens, you get a 60-second delay before the alarm will go off, giving you time to type in your code. When the house is armed, the motion sensor will trigger the alarm as well. 
This is so that if someone breaks a window but never opens it, you'll still know you have an intruder. We have a relatively large dog and two cats, so we had to set the sensitivity down pretty low. They do not trigger it when the house is armed and we're away. The third mode is called home. This is a mode to protect you when you're home. In this mode, the main doors still have some time to be open and let you disarm the alarm, but if a window or non-main door is opened, the alarm goes off immediately. The difference between home and armed is that in the home mode, the motion detector does not trigger the alarm. That makes sense, right? You want to be able to wander around your own home. Ring offers monitoring for the first month for free, but we spent the entire month testing scenarios, figuring out what more we needed to buy and making sure we had everything configured properly. We've just actually turned it on, but in many places, there's an additional step. I'm not sure if this is just a California thing or if it's a nationwide thing or a global thing, but we have to get a permit from the city if we want to have professional monitoring. With monitoring, if your alarm goes off, they try to call you on the phone. If you don't answer or disarm the alarm, they call your backup phone number. If you still don't answer with the secret answer, they call the police. You can just imagine that false alarms are a problem, even with basically three chances to disarm the alarm or prove you're you and not in any danger. I'm not sure what the permit does to discourage those false alarms or what it does to ensure the police actually come to your home. I mean, are they going to go look your permit up in their files before sending the police? If they don't find a permit, are they going to refuse to send the police? In our city, the permit paperwork isn't available electronically, so I can just picture a clerk fishing through paper records as my house is ransacked. Well, the cost of the permit can vary wildly. Our city charges $33, and it's good for three years. But our friend Pat Dengler, who lives only about 10 miles away but is in a different city limit, she's being charged $48, and you have to renew it every year. That's half the cost of the monitoring service itself. Again, I'm not sure what that fee is for exactly, but we all follow the rules. There's one more thing to consider in deciding whether you want to incur the expense of a home alarm system. It turns out that some insurance companies in some areas give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance if you have a security system, especially one that's monitored. I don't want to discuss the value of my home or the cost of my insurance, but the discount to us pays off the cost of the purchase of all of this equipment in 2.4 years. And after that, we actually save money by having a monitored alarm system. So something to check in into if you're trying to figure out whether you can afford it. The bottom line is that the Ring Alarm System has a competitive purchase price. It's really inexpensive for home monitoring, half the price of the top competition that I found, and it has modes to keep you safe while you're home and keep your stuff safe when you're away. We did have to have a contractor come back to do some work recently, and it was awesome that we were able to not only unlock the door for him, but disarm the alarm remotely. I think we're happy with the Ring System, and if for some reason we aren't happy with the monitoring, I'll be sure to let you know. We've done a lot of work on smart home stuff at the uh, NoSilicast, but the one thing I've never talked to anybody about is smart shades. So I ran across uh, Manu Menon from Axis, and he's going to show off some smart shades here. This is audio and video, by the way, so we'll describe everything, too. Sure. Uh, Hi. Well, hey, thank you so much for having us. My name is uh, Manu Menon, and I'm with Axis. uh, And... I'm here to show you our new product. It's called Gear. Uh, in a nutshell, it's designed to motorize and automate the shades you already own and love. Oh, okay. So you don't have to put in new shades. Exactly. Ah. So the great thing about our product is that it's compatible with any window shade that has a loop on it, regardless of brand, size, or weight. 
So, so by loop, you mean the, the typical chain that's got the little thing, you, know, you pull and pull and pull, exactly. and it goes up, and then it comes down. Okay. Exactly. So the great thing about it is that you don't have to figure out if your, product, if your window shade works with our product or not. Just look for a loop. If it's got a loop, it's going to work. Oh, wow. That sounds nice. Okay, yeah. so how does this work? So, uh, well, it works by essentially controlling the, uh, the beta chain or the cord loop off your window shade, and it acts as a, a motorized pulley of sorts. So once you install the product, once you install gear onto your window shade, uh, you can control your window shade from, the, from your phone. So here we've got our app. Uh, Actually, let me describe what this sure. is here. So gear looks to be a little box about uh, you know, like the size of a pencil box. That's about exactly, Maybe an yeah. inch and a half thick and uh, maybe six or seven inches long. And uh, you, so you just mount that on the wall with the loop going through it, and it grabs hold of the loop and pulls it? I couldn't have said it better. Wow. That is, <laughs> that is way too simple. I thought these things were really complicated. Well, no, it's, it's designed to be simple. So our idea is that we built a device that looks great, that blends into your surroundings, and once installed, you can simply control your shade. So let's say you have a guest over and they don't have the app. All they have to do is walk up to the shade and simply tap on it, and it'll open. Okay, so he just tapped a button on yeah. it was kind of a slider. Can you tap part way down and it'll yeah. move to a different location? Exactly. Oh, look at right me there. doing it. I've figured it out already. And I cracked if you the code. Hit stop, just press that and it'll stop. Okay, so he tapped on an X. Exactly. That's, that's pretty nice. Uh, and the great thing about it is that so each of these devices are equipped with both Bluetooth as well as Zigbee. So not only can you control your um, individual shades or groups of shades from our app, you can also create schedules so that, let's say, you know, personally, I like to wake up to sunshine in the morning and come home to a bit of privacy at night. And with the scheduling feature, it takes care of that. And like I mentioned, it also is equipped with Zigbee so that it connects with other home automation systems like, let's say, SmartThings or Echo Plus so that all you have to say is, uh, you know, hey, Alexa, open my shades and, well, gear does the rest. Oh, that is fantastic. So with the app, do you, uh, do you act, can you actually drive it to say, I'm too lazy to get off the couch, I can move the shades? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. You can, you can do exactly that. Well, we're going to give it a little test drive. Uh, let's see if, the, if we're able to actually make a connection. In this. If the interference gods are oh, in our boy. favor today. Well, we'll, we'll figure it out. If it doesn't work on this one, we'll try on the, uh, on the shade next door. Well, I think this one's giving us a little bit of trouble. But let's uh, let's give it a try. Give anybody a hard time at CES when, when uh, Wi Fi. <laughs> why, why, so. uh, why don't we walk over to this one? Maybe this one's gonna actually uh, work. So let's let's give it a try. So he's just pressed some buttons on yeah. the app well, there. Well, looks looks like this one went through. All right. So there we go. Okay. So he did the same thing that he did right on the gear. Did it on the uh, on the app. That's now exactly. you know what I really like about this is it doesn't matter which side of that loop you've grabbed a hold of. It's the wrong side when you walk up to it, right? That's right. But if you yeah. put it through gear, you wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. That's exactly right. Yeah, this it, would work on ours, Steve. We could do this. It's you know what that's that's exactly right. It's designed with the user with you in mind. You know, the ins the actual installation is super simple. All you really have to do is set the the top height and the bottom height and gear figures out the rest. Now ours are have a loop, but it's actually a louver. Will that do will that work? It would work. The only requirement is it's got to have a loop. So now this is actually it got a, it has louvers built into it. Okay. So in your case, uh, you can just set the open and close position. And if that's all you want to do, great. Or if you want to fully open your window shades, you can also do that as well. Okay, yeah, that's on another mechanism because yeah. they're vertical. It's a big thing. but That's exactly right. So we've actually got verticals on that side. We can even I can show it to you afterwards. Okay, great. So where would go, people go to find out more about uh, the Axis gear? Yeah, so um, you can purchase one today uh, by going to our website. It's uh, www.helloaxis.com. 
and I'll spell that for you, H-E-L-L-O-A-X-I-S.com, or you can find us on Amazon. Very good. This is fantastic. Uh, what's the price point on the gear? Uh, it's priced at two forty nine. Okay, not bad. Not bad at all. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, Steve and I were so intrigued by the Axis gear that we've actually ordered one and it has already shipped. So uh, stay tuned. I'm sure we'll do a review and find out whether it solves a problem Steve has, which is having to open the curtains for me every morning and turn close them at night. So stay tuned. Well, everybody who is listening or watching this is a nerd who likes to sit in front of the computer, look at their phone, spends too much time on the computer, too much time with screens. And a company called Gunner Optics uh, has some advice for us on what to do to protect our eyes and, and our brain, I think, with this. And I'm with Ryan Jarris of uh, Gunner Optics. How are you awesome. doing? I'm great. Thank you so much. Yeah, so what we're here to do is protect your eyes for the digital age. We um, offer an entire option for every sort of digital device user to block that artificial blue light that's from computer screens, phones, tablets, TVs, video games, anything that you can think of. Wait, wait, my TV is bad for me too? Absolutely, 100%. Every screen that you're looking at emits a blue light that makes your eyes very heavy. It gives you eye strain, headaches, and prevents you from sleeping. So that is something that we as Gunner Optics are trying to help you um, just overall solve it. And we are here to protect you for all different lifestyles, through all different types of sensitivities, and we are in tons of different lens options, I mean, uh, frame options for your specific style. So you've got, uh, it looks like three different styles here. We've got one that's uh, very amber looking. Absolutely. Kind of a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of amber, and this one looks clear. So yes. walk us through from the uh, real amber one on Absolutely. over. Absolutely. So this is actually a new lens technology that's going to be released in spring this year. This is for those who are hypersensitive to blue light or just looking at screens in general. This blocks 98% of artificial blue light. So that's for people who spend all their nights looking at a computer screen with that different, uh, with just that bright screen in their face. It's extremely difficult to fall asleep after you're working hard, as well as just anyone in general who's just hypersensitive, gets headaches easy, and is not able to fall asleep. So that one. I got to tell you, this amber lens, I put it on for the audio listeners, it, it's somehow really pleasing. I feel almost like it's a little crisper to see. Absolutely. Is that. Is that my imagination? No, that's actually the lens coating. So what we have on both sides of the lens is actually a, uh, a lens coating that blocks um, reflections on the one uh, you're looking at a screen because you don't want to have something that has glares when you're looking through it or else it would just be too distracting. So so does it get rid of glare on the outside too? Um, or just... So when you're looking through it. So it, yeah, so you, when you're looking at it, you don't see any uh, any glares. It reduces it, especially even on the screen itself. So that's, 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 on, that's on all of our technology. Okay, so... So let's say I'm not super hypersensitive to blue light, but I'm just sort of want to cut it down. I go to this next Yeah, the amber... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't let you say the percentage. This cuts out what percentage? 98% of blue light. So the maximum about that you can get. Okay, the next one up. How much am I blocking now? 65%. That is our patented lens technology. That is our amber. That is uh, what our company was founded off of. That is exactly what... um, what built our popularity is that patented lens. So that is our 
uh, that is ours. Like nobody. So else I don't even look goofy though. I mean, you can barely tell there's a tint to this. Yeah, absolutely. I don't look like some kind of weirdo. Yeah, absolutely. And so the thing is, is along with that sort of tinting, we also have various different frame styles that'll fit your liking and fit your lifestyle. So. So, but I've got like some wacky uh, prescription for my my glasses. What do I do about that? We offer prescription options for almost all of our glasses. Oh wow. Okay, so you've got a lot of different frames. You can pick out. I mean, I'm probably not as stylish as what you're wearing, but maybe I could go a different style, but I could get my prescription. Absolutely, yes. You just send in your uh, prescription over to us at Gunner Optics, and then we will take the lenses over to a lab and custom make them for you. Wow, fantastic. Okay, so now... I'm I'm doing digital artwork and I got to have perfect color. What do I do? I, but I need to, to block some blue light. Absolutely. So we do have a clear lens option. This blocks 35% of blue light. So those are for the people who need to see um, truer colors. It has a little bit of a uh, difference in color, but it is the closest that you can get uh, for being a graphic designer, someone who deals a lot with color in the digital age. Or if you just um, don't like the amber tint itself, that is a great option for you to continuously protect your eyes for a good amount of percentages. Very good. This looks fantastic. I'm really intrigued by this. And I'm just walking away with these glasses because I like them. But All right. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll work with you to see if we can get you a pair. All right? All right. So if people want to learn more about Gunner Optics, where would they go? Just go to Gunner.com. We will have all um, all information for you so you can uh, take a look at what digitalized strain is. You can dive deeper into seeing what the problem is. Everybody who lives inside of, I mean, who works inside of an office, works on a computer, experiences this kind of fatigue. And it makes it very hard to go home fall asleep, relax when you've been staring at a bright screen for so long. And Gunner is G-U-N-N-A-R.com, right? That is correct. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I went out searching for scientific evidence of whether it really does cause a lot of eye strain to look at a computer for a long time and this whole blue light thing, whether these yellow glasses work. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't find a lot of, uh, you know, medical evidence that any of this makes a difference, but they did look really cool. And that guy was really energetic about the topic. He said he'd send me a pair if I sent him my prescription, but now I don't have a prescription. So we'll see. I might just check them out. This week, I was helping my friend Diane figure out whether she needed a new MacBook or whether she should spend her money on new iPads for her and her husband. We're pretty sure getting her old Mac repaired is the way to go, but that meant she would be without her computer for a couple of weeks. I suggested that she borrow one of my spare Mac laptops. They're not great, they're pretty old, but if she booted to an external SSD with her own OS and apps and data on them, it would be certainly be workable. That could that could work. I suggested that she get the one terabyte Samsung T5 external SSD for only $218 and then run a full clone backup using SuperDuper from ShirtPocket software. Then I got to thinking, this device comes with a USB-C connector or a USB-A connector. If she got the USB-A version right now, she wouldn't need to use a dongle, but if she eventually upgraded her Mac, which she will someday, she'd have to use a dongle for a very long time to make that work. Maybe it would be smarter to buy the USB-C version so she could future-proof it and then buy a dongle for the short term. I found the Elebase USB-C female to USB-A male adapter, which is only $9 on Amazon, and you get two of them. I'm not sure what she's going to do, since I'm just making her spend even more money when she was trying to save money, but I thought it was an interesting solution. It also gave me the excuse to give her, and you just now, a bunch of Amazon affiliate links to the products I recommend. 
Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Boo Shots. And uh, nothing much happened this week, right, Bart? Right. The scroll bar on my show notes is not giant for, or is not tiny for any particular reason. <laughs> well, based on what you've told me before we started recording, we should probably get stuck in right away then. Yeah, yeah. I also, um, I don't really want to say it to you because you're going to say, yeah, but it's still saying like what happens to me. But our our house is currently a complete pigsty because we, we're getting a new bath put in. Oh. But compared to the work you had done, this is minor. <laughs> I still but have sympathy. T- today, yeah, t- today it's a mess. Um, and the, the, the charming gentleman installing it would like me to clean up today's mess in preparation for him to go make a new mess tomorrow. <laughs> how nice of him. How nice of him. He also told us there will be no tomorrow. But hey, that's how these things go, right? That, that goes, with the, goes with the trade. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So yeah, lots of chaos and uh, yeah. Anyway. Dust and everything. Ugh. Yeah, cement dust, horrible stuff. Cover your computers every time they're anywhere near you. Yeah, yeah, good call. Okay, um, so we get to start with a correction. Oh, good. Uh, which is a correction which turns bad news into good. Oh. So last time I obviously had speed read the story a little bit too quickly because I sort of said that Japan was following Australia. And that it was also implementing anti-encryption laws. But I was wrong about that by about 180 degrees. Oh, good. They they do indeed want to enforce their laws on multinational companies, but not in an Australia way, in a GDPR sort of way. They have pro-privacy laws that make it illegal to um, share users' data, and they want those to apply to people like Facebook and Google and stuff. Oh, So, yeah, fun. so... Uh, I'll put the link back in the show notes so we can now treat, um, we can can reread the story and think nice things about the Japanese government instead of thinking that they're about to become the next Australia. That's my favorite correction ever. Yeah, me too. I was happy to be wrong. (laughs) Uh, We have some follow-ups. Last time, as we were recording, Collection 1 had just broken and we knew that there were collections 2 to 5, but we didn't really, no one had done the the analysis on them to, to... to collapse them into meaningful results. You might want to put we some now words know. before collection one and collection two. I know I happen to know what you're talking about, but that doesn't really describe it. Okay, well, that's sorry. Apologies. That's the name we gave it. So collection one is is the, is, is the dumb name of the latest dump of usernames and passwords. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's just another data dump, but everything has to have a fun name now. So right. Collection one, collection number one is what they called it. Apparently, that was the name of the folder. And then there was also four other folders called collection two to five. So they're now known as collections two to five. Uh, we didn't know at the time how big they were, but we ca- I can now tell you that they contain an additional 2.2 billion with a B collections of credentials or sets of credentials. Yikes. That's a much bigger number than we knew. Right. But again, last time was collection one. Now it's four more. So I guess, you know. Anyway, yeah, lots of lots of stuff. Uh, we also talked last time about um, a family getting rather nastily pranked through their Nest thermostat and right. how it wasn't actually the Nest. It was basically bad password hygiene on behalf of the family. Um, they actually pressured Nest into making announcements to the customers. And I presume they expected Nest to somehow apologize and to say that it was all their fault. But no, Nest basically put out a statement telling people to really be careful about password reuse because it's very dangerous and could cause all sorts of trouble. And here's some tips for how to keep yourself safe. See collection one, two, three, four, and five. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, yeah, I say well done to Nest. Um, and uh, just to underline the point, it sort of kind of happened again, different, not the same prank, but um, yeah, talking to babies through Nest security cams and then jacking up the thermostat because they also got into the other home automation stuff. I presume this is through Google Home. So, uh, so was it another or case Nest? Of, sorry, Nest do thermostats. What am I talking about? Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, but I think Nest might be owned by Google. They are owned by Alphabet. I think they're owned by Alphabet, not by okay. Google. All right. Either so, way, the point being, it was again password reuse, not an actual mm-hmm. hack of anything from Nest. Um, and basically, weird voices coming into your baby's room and the whole house becoming unbearably warm. Not 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 a good evening. So see, according to CNET, it is Google that owns Nest. Whoop. Wait. Yeah, I would be sure that that's just... In August 2015, speak. no, according to Wikipedia, Google announced it would restructure its operations. Oh, un- under a new parent company, Alphabet, with Nest being separated from Google. You're right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but everyone still says that... Everyone just conflates Google and Alphabet. No one right. cares that they restructure. <laughs> I do, but no one else does. All right. Okay, we have three security mediums because all of the security news happened at once. Um, first off, we have... The FaceTime bug, or rather the group FaceTime bug. So a teenager discovered a very serious bug in Apple's new group FaceTime feature. Um, The bug was easy to trigger and allowed attackers to remotely enable the microphone on a victim's iOS device or Mac. And I've also seen reports that it enabled the camera, but I haven't really seen that completely verified. And I think that was only on the Mac. That may be why there's some confusion. But to be honest, either way... Even if there was no camera, it's still horrifically bad. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's sort of beside the point. Um, to trigger the bug, an attacker would simply start a FaceTime call with their intended victim. And then before the victim answered the call, they would add a third person into the call. And that third person could actually be anyone. But for just some extra head scratching, you could also add yourself to a conversation with yourself and thereby make it up to three people, two of you, me, myself, and you, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and at that point, the victim's phone would forget that it hadn't answered the call and enable the microphone. By the way, the reason you can add yourself twice is because you can be on FaceTime and iMessage and all that by your email and your phone number. Oh, okay. So I can either, my... either way, it, it's still... It, oh, yeah. Apple <laughs> should still know it's you. It's still weird. Mm-hmm. And initially, actually, the first reports said that the bug was about you, but it's not about you. So it's not about adding yourself twice that triggers the bug. It's basically adding a third person to an unanswered call is actually what triggered the bug. And that's how it was discovered, because this kid wanted to game with his friends, and he called his first friend, and his friend just didn't answer. And being a modern teenager, the thought of hanging up one call to start another never occurred to this chap. <laughs> He just added another friend who might want to join in the game to the call as well, since he had nothing else to do while he waited for his friend to answer the call. And all of a sudden, he could hear his first friend he was calling stuff going on around his phone. Hmm. And I guess he did a bit of experimenting and found out how easy it was to trigger. Uh, He did the responsible thing and told his mum. And his mum did her absolute darndest to do the responsible thing and contact Apple. Uh, But she didn't really succeed for quite some time in actually getting the right people in Apple to notice. Now, yeah, I'm assuming she the, just called Apple Care, right? 
No, she did that, but she did way I mean. more than that. She way more than that. Yeah. What else did um, she do? That's all I'd heard. She paid ninety nine dollars or seventy nine dollars or whatever it costs to become an Apple developer, so she could log a radar bug. I thought she was told to do that. I didn't know she did it. Okay. Oh, it's. I was under the impression she had done it. Uh, okay. that there was a radar log. Well, in any case, she shouldn't have had to do that. <laughs> either way, yeah, that's yeah. not the point. So. When it finally did make the media, Apple appeared to respond very, very quickly. So By the way, to, the way it made the media was she called Fox News. No, they ignored her for a week as well. Oh, did they? <laughs> yes. Okay. So basically, her she tweeted at Apple and at Fox News, and it didn't ping in either place. Hmm. So anyway, look, you know, God bless her. She she really did try. Um, right. So initially, everyone's initial reaction was, oh, well done, Apple, because when it made the news, Apple responded very promptly. And the response was, we're going to get this patched. Oh, and by the way, we've taken the service off the air until we get this patch, because this is really serious. Okay, that seems reasonable to me. Uh, And then it started to leak out, you know, someone found the old tweet from over a week before. And then it's like, oh, ooh. And then we sort of realized that those two problems here, the bug and the difficulty in letting Apple know they had a serious problem. Now, all's well that ends well to some extent. So what has happened since is that, so Apple very quickly responded. So there was a very, very small window where people both knew about the bug and could exploit it. That was that was a short window, which is good. And not short enough to stop lawsuits, but, you know, Apple, you know, Tim Cook could fart in the wrong direction and Apple would get sued. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, Apple then said there would be an update coming out and when the update was out they would then re-enable the service that has now happened so Apple have released a new version of iOS a new version of macOS which patches the bug and they've re-enabled the service for I presume only people with updated clients can actually connect I presume if you try to connect from an unpatched device you're still not going to get on right Uh, I haven't tested uh, that iOS 10.12.4 I think it is all right. Uh, they're down under under security updates. Um, okay. Yeah, it came out uh, yesterday. So iOS twelve one four and Mojave ten fourteen three, Mojave ten fourteen three. Um, and actually, the, the, so that's that's already good. So in terms of the security aspect, that takes care of that. But the the other issue of being better at finding the needle in the haystack, because obviously. Apple on social media get a lot of buzz and I'm sure Apple support get a lot of stuff and I'm sure a lot of people think they found a giant big gaping security hole when they probably haven't. So there's definitely a lot of noise. And in this case, we say, how could Apple not have noticed? It was a week ago. But the thing is, the amount of millions of other messages that happened in that week that were completely irrelevant and nonsense. You know, it's easy to say, oh yeah, in hindsight, you should have noticed that one amidst all the noise. So... I see Apple's problem, but at the same time, I'm also happy to see that Apple realizes they need to take this seriously. So since this has happened, first off, they made things right with the kid and his mum. So he's going to college, right? (laughs) Yeah. So one of one of Apple's senior execs, I forget which one, actually flew out. I thought somewhere it did, but it wasn't a particularly well-known name. Okay. But they 
flew out to the family and asked the family, okay, so what could we have done better? Oh, and by the way, your son is eligible for Apple's uh, iOS bug bounty program. So the mum said, great, I'll put that into his college fund. All good. Um, And Apple apologized and have also promised to basically put serious effort into figuring out how they can make it easier to report these kind of vulnerabilities. Yeah. So, that's so on the good. whole, I think quite positive. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, positive. And if anyone says, oh, yeah, but there was a bug. Of course there was a bug. It's software. It's written by human beings. <laughs> you judge a company by how they respond to the bug. So when it finally reached the right person within Apple, the response was good. The problem was that took too long. But the silver lining is Apple accepted it took too long and are clearly taking steps to make that better. So let's stay tuned to make sure those steps are sensible. But I don't, I can't think of how this could have been handled better. From the point where it finally reached the right people, I can't see how it could have been handled better. Now, I heard um, Rene Ritchie said that they were, um, that Apple is doing a lot to look at all the different root causes, because there's a whole lot of problems here, right? I mean, why didn't you catch it in testing? Okay, maybe it was really hard. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you could have caught it in testing. Why didn't you? What, what could have What could have gone on that would have helped this beforehand? And then all of the notification problems are sort of, uh, are a completely sideways and equally important bit. Yeah. And Apple haven't said exactly how the bug worked, but I have heard, the, the theory I've heard that makes infinitely the most sense is that this was a problem in the handover between FaceTime and group FaceTime. Because hmm. it happens when you go from two people, which is just a plain old FaceTime call, to three people, which is a group FaceTime call. And what seems to happen is that when you do that handover, effectively you're ending one call and starting another, but it's completely transparent to you, the end user. But, you know, you're ending a regular call and starting a group FaceTime call, which means that all of the people on the first call, I say all of the people, the two people on the first call, along with the new person, get added to this new group FaceTime call. And there seems to be a missing if statement. That if statement (laughs) says, if first person accepted call, then add them to the new call. I mean, oh, I, I really right. think it is that simple. Yeah, yeah. A missing if statement. So I, I do have to say, I haven't had a chance to test the group FaceTime uh, after the fix has gone into place. But I'll tell you one thing I really hope is the case. This The reason I know about this whole thing of you being able to be two people at the same time is mm-hmm. you you often get both of your personalities showing up as little floating boxes. So oh. let's say I call Steve I'll see one with his face in it and one without his face in it. And it stays floating around for a while and then it fades away. And sometimes they get crossed up where like, I'll connect to Lindsay. I'll add Steve. Steve and I end up on a call. Steve can see Lindsay, but Lindsay and I can't see Steve together. It's a big mess. So I'm hoping they uncovered some bugs in there that that was part of it. I'm just, I might be dreaming, but it would be fun if that was the case. Well, it's a brand new service. So even if they haven't discovered those bugs as part of this security fix. And I imagine, to be honest, that the code they pushed out for the security fix is going to be very tightly targeted because there has not been enough time to do QA Mm. on a big change of code. This is going to be... Highly watched. Not just highly watched. This is going to be a surgical strike. So to get... To get software from chain through the entire change management process to a published binary this quickly, mm-hmm. you can't have made many changes. You, right. you know, the only I'm, way I'm to just release thinking because the symptom quickly. is the symptom is connected that it it might they might have accidentally fixed the thing that bothers me. 
the fact that two personalities I, can be floating around him, the same person. It's not impossible. Yeah. Don't get my hopes up. But I up. wouldn't bank on it. Yeah, I wouldn't no. bank on it. Now, I would I would expect that when we go to the next major version, so uh, iOS 12.2, I would imagine you should see a lot of stability improvements and they'll probably bash a whole bunch of stuff on the head. But that would be a separate branch in their source control, and so none of those fixes would be rolled into this patch for 12.1. Right. Because, I mean, there's there's multiple versions of iOS 12 on the go at any one time, and so this code fix will be popped back into the 12.1 branch, not in the 12.2 branch. Anyway, the, yeah, software engineering yeah. is fun. <laughs> so that then takes us on to our second security medium, which again is tangentially about Apple, but is really about our two best friends. And Ken Ray has given me a new term I absolutely adore to describe these two companies. He calls them the Dysons of Data, Facebook and Google. <laughs> Anybody who hasn't heard of a Dyson, that's a that's a Hoover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that is actually a perfect way to say it because Dyson is a British brand of vacuum cleaner. Bagless, the first bagless vacuum cleaners, in fact, the inventor of the bagless vacuum cleaner. Um and Hoover is obviously the biggest American manufacturer of vacuum cleaners, to the point that they've almost lost their trademark because we <laughs> use the word so generically. Uh, do you know that in, in Belgium the uh, Kodak are in a problem similarly because the the Flemish word used most often to describe a camera is a Kodak. Oh, that's interesting. Like Kleenex and all. Yeah, yeah, another good example, exactly. Uh, Which is why that hook and loop fasteners is what uh, Velcro insists you call their product. Right. Because they're afraid of losing it. Anyway, so our friends, the Dysons of Data, uh, Facebook and Google, ran afoul of the rules of Apple's Enterprise Developer Program uh, to do some really quite unsavory things. So I want to lay a little bit of background here before we got into what they did. So we know that in the general case, if you want to publish an app to the community, there is one way to do that on iOS. You publish it through the Mac App Store, it goes through Apple's review. You have had to prove who you are to even get as far as submitting the app. Apple then run the app through a whole bunch of automated software tests to make to try find as much malware as they can. And then they run up by a human being to give it a final look over and then it appears in the store. So while that's not perfect, that provides a pretty good protection to us regular iOS users from malware and just malicious, nasty apps in general or unsavory apps or apps that break Apple's terms of service. But corporations have an extremely legitimate need for internal applications. And it does not make sense that, say, you know, widget manufacturer Inc.'s HR system should be in the app store for us all to see and download. Like, that's nonsense. That could never work. So Apple have a program that corporations, well, in fact, any large organization can sign up to. And that <clears throat> Apple will then give them a certificate, which they can then use to sign their apps. And a signed app with one of these certificates can then be sideloaded onto an iOS device. And basically, Apple have validated the certificate that has validated the app. And so the app will run. There is a chain of trust all the way to Apple's root certs. It works. I've actually now, done that on behalf of my company. I have signed a, signed an app using a, an internal certificate. Yeah, uh, as in fact have I. <laughs> um, I, I have many. I have many Apple IDs, and one of those Apple IDs has a. I have my work hat on, and I am an admin in our. Um, app, it's the Apple Developer Program rather than the Enterprise, but it's very similar. Very very similar getup. Uh, now. You have to sign a contract with Apple to do that. And that contract contains a whole bunch of rules. Um, many, many of them. And they're not easy to not easy to get to the point of even signing the contract, actually. You really do have to prove who you are. 
Um, but one of the things in that contract for the enterprise developer program is that you may only use the apps internally within your organization and you absolutely, positively, explicitly may not distribute them to your customers. So with that background out of the way, what did Facebook get caught doing? Well, you may remember a while ago, Facebook purchased a VPN company called Onavo, and they actually left it in the App Store for a while, while it was Facebook-owned, and it made a lot of people very icked out. And after they came under some pressure, Facebook removed it from the Mac App Store. But they didn't bin the code. Instead, they used it as the... You just said Mac App Store? You mean iOS, iOS App Store? Store? And I don't Sorry, think Facebook... Apple's official. I thought Apple kicked him out. Yeah, there's some argument whether they jumped or they were pushed. I remember at the time there being conflicting reports. How do you spell whether, the name you know, of that app? Because I, I was trying to find it. I think it's O-N-A-V-O, but I could, okay. I could have it wrong. The, the, the were, there were mixed reports because I remember reporting on it at the time and everyone sort of agreed the bottom line is it's gone. Facebook said they pulled it. Apple said they told Facebook to pull it. Okay. So I don't think Apple pulled it, but does that really make any difference? Anyway. The, the, it was just it, back last August out. that that happened. Yes, exactly, which is why it was still in my mind. But they didn't They didn't get rid of the code. They didn't stop using the app. They just stopped putting it in the Mac App Store, or sorry, the iOS App Store. They extended on this as their basis, and they built an app designed to monitor what you get up to. Um, so this thing is a VPN, so it is in a very trusted man-in-the-middle position. As well as being a VPN, it also comes with a profile, which you have to install to get it to work, and that profile includes a custom root certificate. Again, the kind of thing that it is legitimate for the for iOS to support, because corporations need custom certificates for a whole bunch of enterprise security products, which have a legitimate reason for intercepting SSL securely. But Facebook were using it to effectively disable HTTPS for everything these people did on their devices and track what they did. And we know that they used this app to help them make the decision to buy Instagram. Oh, really? Yeah. They could see how popular it was among 13 to 35-year-olds. Do we know that or is that the assumption? I believe we know that. And I believe we already knew that they had analytics to tell them that, and now we know where they got them from. So they had to have gotten it back when it was in the iOS app store. It, well, no, see, there's no reason they couldn't have had both apps running at the same time, which is, I think, what's happened. Basically, this secret app has actually been around for years, and there was also a public one. And the public one went mm. away, and the secret one didn't. Hmm. So they paid people $20 a month in gift vouchers to install this app. Now, the app, because it contained a root certificate, had the ability to see into literally everything on your phone. Facebook insists they were not breaking into everything, and then they specifically said that any time you opened a banking app that they they stopped watching. But we literally only have their word for it, and one bug in their code, and it wouldn't be true. They had the power to see everything. There is not a more invasive permission they could have gotten than what they had by having a VPN with a root certificate. Like this there, is There's a as... piece of it that bothers me more than all of this. And this is the age that they targeted people, people 13 to 35. 
Yes, now they insist that they got a consent form from the parents. Mm-hmm. I would I would argue that your average non techie professional adult cannot give informed consent to what Facebook were doing here. Because you can say that we're installing a root certificate and you agree to it. But is that actually informed consent? Is that right. actually in any way meaningful? I would say no, it is not. Now, from they, what I understand, they also, um, the uh, sorry to keep interrupting, but from what I understand, the name of the app at the time did not tell them it was Facebook. Right. It was only exactly after you started going. Next. Yeah, so it. there's two more levels of ick. That's the first degree of ick. There's an even ickier degree of ick. Uh, so... They say in order to not bias the results, when people were invited into the program, they were presented with a front company as the apparent pers- you know, corporation looking for this tracking. And then after they signed an NDA, which is the next layer of ick, <laughs> no, then uh, they were told, oh, yeah, by the way, it's Facebook. Now, Sorry, I talked over you because I wanted to say NDA is not disclosure agreement. And then you said, and after that. Yeah, so they made everyone agreed to the NDA, and then the app ripped off its mask and went, oh, by the by, it's Facebook you've agreed to. Ta-da! Which Mark Zuckerberg described as being completely open and transparent. So it's illegal for you to tell anyone about this, and we're not going to tell you until after it's too late, but we're completely open and transparent. I mean, basically, Mark Zuckerberg's email to all staff justifying this is horrific to read because basically it's obvious the guy does not get it. He couldn't be creeped out by privacy invasion if he tried. Yeah, I don't even know if I would call it he doesn't get it. I would call it he is doing this with malice aforethought. I mean, this is not, this is not accidental. This is, this is what happens if you are, or if you genuinely do not have the mental circuitry to process empathy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, to me, Facebook has always behaved like a company that doesn't have morals. And it may be because their CEO doesn't have morals. He may actually be a sociopath. Right. You know, I'm sure, you know, I have no qualifications to say that, but that is my interpretation of Facebook's behavior over the past decade and however long they've existed. Anyway, many, many levels of ache here. Um, also, a, a little tidbit now. This last, actually, no, I'll, I'll leave that for later. So that happened. It made the media, thanks to some really good reporting by... I want to make sure I give credit to the right people. And I don't... Why do I not have the story I think I should in the show notes? Was it TechCrunch who did all the donkey work on this? I don't actually know. I thought it was TechCrunch. And I noticed they're not in the show notes. That's terrible oversight because I deserve it. Because I think they're the ones who did the heavy lifting on this. Anyway, when it came out, Apple responded by saying, yoink, poof, goes the enterprise certificate, which doesn't only kill this app. They didn't target this app. They took away the certificate because Facebook broke their contract. So every single internal app that makes Facebook go, poof, every single developer version of their current apps that they're working on to get out to people, poof. So on the one hand, it was only about 36 hours they were without a certificate. I think there were an awful lot of Facebook employees incapable of doing their job for well over 36 hours because the APIs that underpin the public key infrastructure, the PKI, the APIs support certificate revocation. 
There is no API to revoke a revocation. So, so they didn't I don't get, get the... their old cert back. Ah, they did not get their old cert back. They got a new cert. They then had to rebuild every single app from oh, source. Because they couldn't revoke the old one because they didn't have the old one. Well, no, no. Apple saying? revoked the cert. You can't revoke a revocation. So oh, they couldn't so turn it back on. they had to have on. a new one. Uh... They had to have a new one. Then had to rebuild and redistribute every app. So yeah, thirty six hours without a cert, but I'd say it was a lot more than thirty six hours before all the apps were back up and running. Ah, I didn't catch that. Yeah. You, you, what I would really like to know, and we never will know, is what was the conversation that oh, got it turned back on? Sorry, I, I said it during the week. If I could be a fly on the wall <laughs> in any boardroom anywhere, I would want to be in the room at Apple's end. When the speakerphone was on to those Facebook guys, yeah. How, what what did they say? What could they say that made Apple go? Oh, you're sorry. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm I don't. not sure that's how it would have gone. I my vision, right, purely me fantasizing. Mm-hmm. Dear dear Facebook, we have you by the short and curlies. Will you ever pull a stunt like this again? No. Good. This time we're giving you your shirt back. If you mess with us, we have this much power over your enterprise. Good day. Yeah, they could they could have revoked uh they could have revoked um Facebook. Mm, uh, that would have left them open to being sued because they didn't break that contract. What they actually did is very, very much dot the I's cross the T's Facebook have no possible argument. They would have entered a separate developer agreement. This isn't their developer agreement. This is their enterprise agreement. Okay. It's a separate contract. They broke... We don't know what that contract says. Contracts often say we have the right to to reserve service to anybody we want. Yeah. What they did was just extremely clean. It didn't hurt end users at all. It just hurt Facebook. Like... I couldn't imagine a better planned, more surgical strike, to be honest. So what is their bigger threat? What do they do to him next time? What well, are you saying their, their, their threat oh, But was? their entire internal corporation was, was laid low. There's lots of reports from Facebook employees saying, I can't do my job today. Like, well, you don't have to impact the end user t- to impact a company massively. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, could you imagine coming thing. into work and every back-end system was gone? All you had left was no, no, your front-end no, 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 no. user back-end system? Back-end systems aren't all gone. It's just things you run on iOS that are gone, that you have written yourself. Okay, but these are but these are absolutely critical to basic stuff like their their customer management, their HR. and I, I mean, I, The way it was being described by Facebook employees was it was like the company had this one of his legs chopped off internally. Mm. I heard it was things like they couldn't order food from the from the cafeteria and the bus didn't, they didn't get the bus schedule. Well, if I had as many employees as they had and they couldn't eat, I imagine that was a bit of an no, HR disaster. I just don't know what the food order was. It wasn't they couldn't eat. I don't know. I, I, somewhere I, between I, if what you took away our inter- If you took away our internal apps, I, 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 to me, I think this is a big deal. I think this Your is internal really iOS now. apps? Okay, but we as an organization don't have an enterprise agreement, so that's not a fair comparison. If you took away our internal web apps that we have for stuff... But but I'm just I'm just saying I find it highly unlikely that that the vast majority or even the majority of what uh, Facebook does internally is run on iOS. 
That doesn't stop their work. Okay, look, we only have reports from employees who said it was an absolute train wreck in there. Yeah. I don't know any more than you do. I'm just going by what the people who actually know said. So, mm. yeah, I haven't heard those reports. I've heard much more minor effects. So, somewhere in between what we're saying is probably the truth. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, ultimately, and we can't know. So, yeah. The other thing (laughs) then is. Don't stop us from arguing, though. (laughs) (laughs) No. The other thing then is that Facebook were not alone in this particular practice. Google were found to be doing something similar. A little bit less egregious. I don't believe there were 13-year-olds involved. No, it was 18. Um, That's less egregious. Yep. Uh, Five years worth of less egregious and a very critical five years because Mm -hmm. a 13-year-old is a hell of a lot less of an adult, you know, than an 18-year-old. Anyway... Google, to their credit, issued an actual apology apology where they actually apologized as opposed to self-justifying and saying, oh, we just we just violated some fine print, which is basically what Mark Zuckerberg's internal staff email amounted to. Forget about an actual apology. Anyway, Google put their hands up and went, yeah, mea culpa, really, really sorry. So they only lost a search for a couple of hours. But again, they had to recreate everything from scratch. So again, they had a bit of work to do there. And then the last little nugget. Now, this comes with a a health warning. Before you go on. So I have to say, Google, okay. Facebook, you're disgusting. I mean, those they (laughs) they are two different categories to me. And my understanding was that Google came out and said, oops, we were doing it too before Facebook, before Apple spanked them. They came out and said, yeah, we were. Apple spanked them, but not before TechCrunch contacted them and say, by the way, we're about to release this story. And then they mm. went, ah, let's get ahead of the news. So they got they got out ahead of Apple, but not ahead of the journalists who were about to break it wide open. Okay, well, they they got ahead of Apple. And so they probably got spanked. A, a, you know, it was probably a like, hey, less. dude, you know, we had to do this because we spanked it in Facebook. So, you know, we're good, though. Here's your shirt. Yeah, I mean, I believe it was five hours they were without. But again, they had to rebuild everything. So it's still quite the uh, quite a bit of upheaval. So there's a health warning on this next sentence. According to Leo on Security Now, which is sometimes, you know, Leo does, he's not always wrong, but there's times <laughs> I feel he is. Uh, anyway, according to Leo, both of these apps are still available on the Android platform. Oh, that's what I've read everywhere as well. Uh, yeah. Stephen Getz and I have been trying to find them um, in fact, I, I was looking for my Android phone while we were chatting, and it's out of arm's reach, so I wasn't able to go get it to go looking. Well, I don't think they're in the public store. It's just that sideloading is supported on Android. But, in but I was going to go isn't... look for a Navo. That was the name I was looking for, because um, I had heard the three beta testing apps. I saw it had the names of those, um, but I didn't have... Um, I didn't but have this one wasn't called Onavo. This it had the Onavo VPN as its brain, but it was called something like Experience Tester or something weird mm. like that. It, it, it had an innocuous name. Again, yeah, I they remembered it because I want to see what that what that parental permission thing is. I really want to see what it said. I believe you had to be invited. Oh, nuts! Sorry, <laughs> but if you know if they really realized they were doing something wrong, as opposed to just violating some fine print in a contract, they would have pulled all the apps. Mm-hmm. So the, the privacy thing doesn't seem to bother either of these two corporations. It's just how how much they doff their cap to Apple for breaking their contract with Apple. So anyway, that's lots of fun. And then I thought that was it for security mediums until I believe it was yesterday. We had another little fun story dropped on us. Key Steel. Details are vague on this one. Um, 
a security researcher has released a video, and that video appears to show an attack against Apple's keychain. The video appears to show that a rogue app can exfiltrate passwords from the keychain. So you get tricked by some sort of attacking the squishy organic bit, standard Trojan stuff, into installing an app, and that app can then, through some sort of vulnerability that this chap has discovered but not shared, access all of your keychain instead of what is supposed to be the case, only the stuff it put in there. So it's the, if this is what it looks like, it is a bug, a an important bug that needs fixing. It's not remotely exploitable because you have to attack yourself by installing a rogue app. And, and I'm guessing from if it's a rogue app, it's probably not signed, which means you have to bypass Gatekeeper, which means you have to put in your, uh, your uh, credentials. Yes, exactly. So there, the, you have to go to a lot of work to get it. You do, and the thing is, so the, the video, the proof of concept is out, but only in video form, not in code form, not in how it works description, even in English, let alone in code. So this guy basically isn't sharing how it works with anyone. So on the one hand, at least he's not just published a proof of concept and called it a day, because that would be pretty darn bad. Uh, but he's also not telling Apple out of spite, protest. You know, I can sort of see it both ways. But anyway, he feels Apple should have a bug bounty program so he can get paid for his work. Apple don't have a bug bounty program, so he's not telling them. So we are now in a kind of, uh, well, basically an arms race has been kicked off between Apple and all the cyber criminals on planet Earth. One of them is going to rediscover this bug because we now know it exists. So Apple are going to desperately be trying to find it before the bad guys try to find it, and the bad guys are going to be desperately trying to find it before Apple find it. Right now, today, we're in no danger, but that could change at any moment. You know, the reactions to the video, the video was almost completely filled with, uh, you're faking. It could be. Yeah, and they described exactly... uh, exactly how they did it or how you could fake it there people were fairly uh uh specific on it so i thought it was fake anything yeah i mean people suggested that the that the person uh uh change something in keychain and prove that the tool got the new one that's what they were asking that he 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 or she should have done but anyway it it, did Let's just take it at face value, and even then, there's no reset your hair on fire yet. It, it's you could have an argument of whether or not Apple should have a bug bounty program. I would suggest they should. You could then have an argument about whether this is an even vaguely appropriate way of protesting that, and I would argue no, it isn't. But again, you know that's sort of beside the point. For now, no need to set your hair on fire. If that changes, we will let you know. Okay. Notable security updates. Apple have released a bunch of security updates. The obvious two are iOS 12.1.4 and Mojave 10.14.3, which both fix the group FaceTime bug. But that's not all they do. They do actually contain a few other patches each. Uh, Three extra patches for iOS and two extra patches for macOS. And there is also a new update to Siri, sorry, to the Shortcuts app for iOS, which does include security fixes. Hmm. Good. Uh, both Firefox 65 and Chrome 72 are out. Nothing all that unusual. Um, they both contain security patches. Nothing that unusual. 
but they also both bring us some fun new features. So Firefox 65 brings us new tracking protections and a new UI for controlling them. So there's links in the show notes to a blog post from Mozilla explaining what they've done, why and how. And also a naked art, naked security article describing it too. And then said Chrome a naked se- article. <laughs> I, I know. Chrome 72 has added two fun new features. And the first is warnings about lookalike URLs. So these are, you know, one letter away misspellings of popular URLs like paypill.com or something like that. Mm-hmm. It will pop up a little banner saying, are you sure you didn't want to be over there? It won't stop you, but it will just sort of put up a little, is this really where you want to be? Which which is nice, clever. And also then uh, warnings, proactive warnings, if you browse to a site that Google know has been affected by a password breach. Um, They're not the first browsers to do this, but they are the most popular browser on planet Earth right now. So it's wonderful to see this kind of functionality in this browser. And it also means that people are going to start to realize that they cannot reuse passwords or their Nest thermostat will tell them nuclear war has come or worse. You think they're going to learn, Bart? You're so cute. (laughs) Not saying universally, but I am saying it will raise awareness. Good. There will be many more people who know, you know, who are aware of this than would have been otherwise. So I think it can only do good to have this in the most popular browser on planet Earth. The February 2019 security update from Android patches three remote code execution bugs in their image processing library. That's bad. Because what that means is that if you have Android 7, 8, or 9, and I don't know what confection they align to, I don't have time to look that up. Uh, if you view a maliciously crafted PNG image, you can have your phone hacked. So if you're an Android user who can update to the February 2019 security update, you really should do so. And if you're an Android user who can't, it is my personal opinion you need a new phone. So you can't wander around on a phone that can't safely look at pictures. Yeah, we don't know from what what you uh, pulled whether how far back the February 2019 security update goes. How do you mean how far? Well, so you can often get the same security update on different versions of Android. Seven, eight, nine. No, well, you said the bug affects Android version seven, eight, nine. Uh, my reading of the Naked Security article is that they patched it on the versions it affects. Okay. All right. Good. I always find it very hard. That's my reading of the article. The link is in the show notes for people who speak Android. Right. Because it's not straightforward. <laughs> well, because if it if they did if it affects seven eight nine and it pat, the patch works on seven eight nine, then there's nobody in that set that can't update. Yes, there is. There's all of those people who are relying on their vendors. Google, unless you bought straight from Google or you rooted your phone, you're dependent on your vendor and or your carrier. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Linux people, wipe the smug look off your face if you have one. Uh, (laughs) This mainly affects Linux desktop distributions uh, just because of the way the bug works. But uh, there has been a patch to some nasty bugs in something called SystemD or the system daemon, and this is a modern reimagination of Linux's old uh, old mechanism, initd, for launching services. So 
on the Mac, literally, if you go into Activity Monitor on the Mac and you look at every process and you ask the Mac to arrange them by which process started which process, everything comes back to something called Launch D, the Launch Daemon. Well, the equivalent of that on mod- or the modern equivalent of that on modern Linux OSs is, is System D. So that's the process that starts every other process. And that's where this bug is, which has been patched, but that means that you need to patch your desktop system. To be honest, I'd patch me servers too if they had system D. Mm. Uh, Red Hat, for example, uses system D. But in order, the currently known ways of exploiting the bug are desktop specific. I wonder whether um, Raspberry Pi has it. I don't know off the top of my head. Mm. Finally, then, thank you to was it Stephen Getz? Uh, no, no, it was uh, George no, it from Tulsa. George, so, thank you, George. Um, open Office vulnerable to remote code execution. Libra Office patched. To be honest, it's been a long time that I have been saying that if you want to run with the open source Office alternative, it's Libra that you want, not Open. You know, Libra is a fork of Open Office, but it's a much it's a fork that's much better polished. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is another reason to stay on on the Libra path rather than the Open path. Notable news then, a lovely statistic uh, that come out of Europe. Um, do you want to guess how many GDPR breaches have been reported since the law came into effect eight months ago? <laughs> well, I can see it, so I won't guess. Three? <laughs> <laughs> Multiplied by 20,000, yeah. 59,000 reported breaches. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. But, see, that doesn't mean there's now more breaches. What that means is that we now know how many breaches there have been for ages. God. That so is a GDPR big number, Bart. Breaches. That's an appallingly large number. It is, but the same is going on in America. You just don't know about it. Well, you don't know that these aren't reported. American. I'm not saying okay. they're happening. I, I never said anything about it being in Europe. I'm saying they're breaches. True, true. Right? True. I, I, didn't, I didn't make any snotty, you know, okay, mark. Just, just saying in case people were thinking, just, you know, right. just, just saying. No, I'm just, I'm saying those are breaches that happened that affect all of us. Probably. Some of them do, some of them don't. Uh, because like, all European corporations are tied by this, even if their only customers live within five minutes walk. Mm. Doesn't matter, right? So there is compulsory reporting here, there isn't compulsory reporting planet-wide. So it's, anyway, yeah. Uh, we also learned, oh no, this is the one, sorry, this is the one that TechCrunch get the credit for. I knew TechCrunch did some good heavy lifting, <laughs> some good reporting. This is the one that TechCrunch did the heavy lifting on. So TechCrunch discovered that there are lots of iPhone apps that use various APIs to record your screen without explicitly asking your permission to record your screen and send it back to the owners of the app. Ostensibly, this is about figuring out how people are using the app and providing better support. But it is kind of dangerous because they may end up, if they're not careful, transmitting that data insecurely because lots of apps talk to their backends without proper encryption or without validating the certificates. And so TechCrunch basically shone a light on this practice and Apple went, oh, bleep, I can't believe people are doing that. Um, And so Apple have now told developers, you must disclose that you do this or you must stop or we'll chuck you out of the App Store. You know, I... (laughs) Yeah, I have an opinion on this, and it's going to be unpopular, but um, I interviewed okay. a company a long, long time ago. I mean, this is not at all new. 
I interviewed a company that supplied a service that would allow you to create heat maps from your users to see are they poking the wrong or the right buttons to see whether you know they're they're hitting the back arrow when they should be hitting the down arrow sure. or something and I mean that was I think it was at Macworld so it was a long long time ago and uh it seems to me to be a logical thing to do I understand that the, absolutely there are some security problems that they need to make sure they don't screw up uh, and yes. I suppose telling you that we're going to be recording the screen to better improve our service would be fine if they said it. I, I wouldn't it say just it's that fine. They don't I think it's required. It? So yeah. is it just to be that honest, they didn't yeah. say it? Right. Yeah. It's like doing something legitimate secretly versus doing something legitimate openly makes it completely different. And also, if you're dumb enough to send that without proper SSL encryption, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, well, and then that that would highlight it even more. But a lot of people were like, well, that's creepy. Why is that creepy? It could be. Depends on the app. But in, in the average app, in the average case, is not at all creepy. Just be, just tell us. Yeah, yeah, that's but a lot of people GDPR are like, about, oh, right? no, just that's, just, that's, just, uh, that's just wrong. I don't want anybody tracking where my finger went on the screen in the app where you know what buttons I pushed anyway because I, I bought a plane ticket. That, that, I was going to say, if 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 Delta are selling you the ticket, they already know that you're going to Schenectady or wherever you're going. Right. They, they just sold you the ticket. They just don't know that it took you 17 clicks to get there when they thought it would only take three, and so they need to fix their UI. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Because it's not a third party who gets this. It's the person who... it's. You know, unless it's an app designed to share stuff between people privately, that's a but that's a special case. I can find special cases where it's creepy, but they're mm-hmm. special cases. So right? I let, let me ask you, you there's know. there's a lot of apps that say, they pop up a thing on the Mac anyway that says, uh, to help us improve our customer service, uh, will you allow us to send anonymous information to, to them, like Microsoft or whoever? Mm-hmm. Isn't that the exact same thing? They're not telling me what they're sending. Uh, I'm sure in their actual policies they do. Well, I'm the sure information if you go I read their privacy policy. But the thing I'm agreeing to doesn't tell me that. So if they just said we're going to send anonymized informa- usage information, okay, that'd have been all right. I, I would have if they're going to start taking screenshots and stuff. I do think actually need to be that's not just anonymized information. That's actual imagery that I would say that's going a little further. But we can argue about the fine point. The point is just. It's actually only creepy if you make it secret. Okay. Um, just mainly just to highlight the fact that this keeps happening. Um, Daily Motion have done a password reset because they were on the receiving end of what has been called credential stuffing. So, whenever you hear the phrase credential stuffing, what I'd like you to think in your mind is password reuse attack. Credential stuffing means taking a password dump, like say collection number one, and trying password after password after password after password. After password on another website. Hmm. So the name for that is credential stuffing. Hmm. Okay. So basically you have all of these credentials and you stuff them into another website. And so that's why there was a password reset on Dailymotion. Not because Dailymotion were in any way hacked, but because lots of other people on the internet were hacked and people were trying their passwords against Dailymotion. Uh, so the Japanese government gets to be mentioned twice, so they're already in our correction. Um, they are taking a very proactive stance to IoT security in preparation for hosting the Olympics next year. They have just granted permission to the National Institute of Information and Communications Technology to launch a credential stuffing attack 
against Japanese IP addresses in an attempt to find and deal with insecure IoT devices. So they are going to do password reuse attacks and uh, default credentials attacks against whatever is listening on their IP range. And then if they find vulnerable devices, they're going to contact the owners, presumably with the help of ISPs, to make them secure their stuff. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, but I can't I can't say I find that anything other than very sensible. No, but think of the massive scale of that. I, I mean, believe I they're a hard- doing a random collection of IPs on this first pass through, but I guess this is a pilot. Yeah, but wow. I mean <laughs> I I, I got forty two on my and- network alone, right? <laughs> Yeah, but they're only going to hit stuff that actually has a public IP address. So this is mainly about routers. This is mainly about people who have routers with default usernames and passwords. Oh, it said I. You said it was about IoT. Oh no, right? absolutely. If there is something that answers on a public IP address, it will get caught up in this. But realistically, what has public IP addresses? Your cam- None of your cameras do. They're all behind your NAT router. Right, but if you have IPv6, you all of those devices would have external IPs. Sure. So that's, yeah. So whatever has an external IP will get caught up in this. Mm-hmm. But only the stuff. And IPv6 port uh, scanning is actually really difficult because the address space is too big. Yeah. It's, it's okay. W- it's one of the, it's one of the issues with IPv6 is it's very hard to actually secure an IPv6 network because you physically can't scan it. Too many possible IPs. Uh, Apple has been forced to start storing some Russian user data on servers within Russia to comply with local laws. Hello, China. (laughs) You know, Apple are a company, they obey the law. Uh, GCHQ, which is the UK's equivalent of the CIA, I believe. um, Sounds right. They are being very clever in a horribly creepy way. We've described a few times about the trade-off that you have with end-to-end encryption on popular messaging services like Facebook Messenger and iMessage. So the underlying protocols are genuinely secure, but they rest on an assumption that you have securely distributed the key pairs. So when I'm in a group iMessage conversation, I have everyone in that conversation's public key in my copy of iMessage. And when I type a message to the group, that message gets separately encrypted for each person in the group and then sent to them, and then they can decrypt it with their private key. So to do it completely securely, we would use the raw... um, Ah, what's the name of that protocol? Why can I never... Ah! Oh, I hate when my brain does this. I don't know. Signal. 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 Which means that you would have to manage your keys. And then you are completely secure. But no human being, no regular person wants to manage keys. So we delegate the management of keys to the provider. So Apple managed the iMessage keys on our behalf. And Apple have been very good stewards of those keys, which is why iMessage is a very secure way to communicate. GCHQ would like to take a large spanner and throw it in those works. They would like to compel Apple to inject extra hidden keys into group conversations so that your copy of iMessage will silently encrypt the message with GCHQ's public key. 
as well as the people you're actually talking to. So that would mean GCHQ could decrypt the messages? Yes, because you would be encrypting it with their public key so they can then decrypt. Why do they want Apple to do that? So that they can see into iMessage. <laughs> so it is still end-to-end encrypted. You just added an end. The title that you put in the show notes, I was going to ask you to uh, be more careful in your pronoun usage, but you said it exactly correctly. His title says, GCHQ wants Apple to add it to iMessage. I'm thinking, add it? What's it? GCHQ. It is GCHQ. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say GCHQ's pri- public keys? Yeah. Jeez. So basically, that means, yeah, so... Th- in your conversation, there will be a hidden person that you would be securely end-to-end encrypted sending your content to. Why would because Apple you don't manage the that? keys yourself? Oh, I, they would need they some don't. serious compelling, right? Yeah. But this is what GCHQ have are saying they would like Apple to be compelled to do. This is an mm. awful long way from happening. But what's particularly fiendish about this? suggestion, proposal, whatever you want to call it, is that it's technologically easy, mm. trivial to do. Mm. Just morally repugnant. Well, Technologically trivial. Let, let me ask a question. So in, in the United States, uh, given a warrant, um, I believe it's possible for law enforcement to compel Apple to give any iCloud stored messages that are up there to them. And they could do it because they can decrypt it. No, so they can't. Okay. Anything in your iCloud that's not encrypted with the key Apple don't have, they They can and do hand over to the government. So your iMessages are not, the same as other... All content in your iCloud isn't the same. Some of it is encrypted with keys that only exist on your device, and Apple physically can't hand that over, so they don't. And is that what iMessages... your photos and stuff... iMessages end-to-end encryption is not handoverable. I don't know once it's sitting in... When it's at rest? When it's at... When it's at rest... I believe I believe it's encrypted with your keys at all times. So I believe okay. it's only your device can decrypt it. So I don't believe that's included. But your photos are a great example because they're protected by your, I, your iCloud password. You can reset your iCloud password. If you can reset your iCloud password, then so can Apple. Yeah. Okay. So to be clear, it, GCHQ isn't asking for the same level of access as Apple. They're asking to have the keys to the kingdom. Yes, they want to... That Apple doesn't have in this case. Yeah, so Apple does not have a mechanism for adding an invisible participant to a conversation. So they would need to create a mechanism for adding a secret participant to a conversation and then compel Apple to make GCHQ that secret participant. Okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's evil genius. Like, technologically, this is how you would do it in a totalitarian state. This is absolutely what you would do didn't think it'd be the UK. And as I say, this is just what they want, right? There's an awful long way between what the spy agency wants and what actually happens on planet Earth. Because if all the American agencies had their way, there would be no encryption anywhere ever. So, you know. Um, a year on from a report released by the Norwe- Norwegian Consumer Council, uh, we talked about this last year when it happened, they um, 
reviewed smartwatches aimed at kids to see if they were in any way vaguely secure? And the answer is, nope. Absolutely not. So a year later, a security company decided to see if things had gotten any better. The TLDR version of their report starts with, it's a train wreck. (laughs) So be very careful what you strap to your kid's arm. It may be a privacy-invading piece of train wreck. Uh, Something to note, I'm not entirely sure if this is surprising, but home DNA kit firm Family Tree DNA has admitted that it's been sharing data with the FBI all along. (laughs) I'm not surprised, I still find it ick. You know what I love about this is is, uh, you can find it ick, but if your brother does his DNA... Yeah. That that is actually a real problem because I think there's a consent issue here. I don't feel that it is it is appropriate that I can consent to give away my family's DNA, which is what I'm doing. My DNA is not mine, it is shared. Yeah. So I well, alone it, shouldn't be able to consent. Well, it's sort of like I can put my contacts on Amazon's web services so that I can make voice calls with my Amazon Echo, but you didn't say I could do that. No, but I have given you something in trust, and you violated that trust. Uh-huh. In this case, your DNA was never all yours. Right. Your DNA is always a shared resource held in common between you and your family. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a messy one, because it's actually very hard to find an analogy to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's deeply personal and deeply yours, and yet not exclusively yours. Right. Uh the Germans are causing Facebook a little bit of consternation. So we, we, we talked recently about Facebook's big plans to merge all their backends together and have seamless messaging everywhere with the small teeny weeny silver lining that's end-to-end encrypted everywhere. Unless GCHQ gets a key put in. Um, but a German court has ruled that, oh yeah, by all means, you're perfectly free to do that, but you must give every user an explicit opt-in to that merging. You cannot just mush them together and say tough. Oh. They have to explicitly consent well, wait to a be minute. merged. So th- that's not a very workable answer for Facebook. How can they no, merge the back ends if some end up merged and some not? They have some work to do. Well, no, this I mean, is, how could you, how could you, you'd end you up having engineer, to run two No, versions. no, you can engineer these kind of things. You you can have accounts that are Facebook only, you could have accounts that are Instagram only, and you could have accounts that are universal across the two. You have this in all sorts of systems. But one of the reasons you might want to merge backends would be for efficiency, and now you're going to have to run two for everything, or one, one centralized one and one of all the un- but you always would merge. have anyway. The, the systems were never good. They were just the, the systems were never going to be one system. They're always going to have multiple backends. They were just going to share account information. Uh, that's not what I, the way I heard it. I heard it was more ground up, rebuilding, starting from scratch, going to build a new backend that was going to be all of the apps uh, run together. Yeah, but they're still. They may be sharing a code base, but it doesn't mean that it's one one app, right? If you have, I didn't two say it was one app. Direct no, that's what I'm saying. There's merging and there's merging, right? So you could decide that you have three completely separate things right now and that they all have, one of them's an LDAP backend and one of them's an Active Directory backend and one of them is something else. And you could decide we're going to standardize the same backend everywhere so everyone gets the same, everyone gets a copy of Active Directory and it's all configured exactly the same way, but yet they're still separate. So you can actually have a unified backend that isn't unified. 
We're getting into sysadmining minutiae. (laughs) What it means is more thinking to be done. It can absolutely be done. Um, This is not a roadblock, but this is certainly a speed bump. And it certainly means that I think Facebook were hoping that they were going to have, you know, a real, basically a real field day of free data. And at least in Germany, that appears not to be so. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see how they respond. Uh, good news, I think. Microsoft have announced the termination of support for IE10. Yay! Oh. January 2020, so, IE10 did. So is that the end of IE period? No, there's still 11. There's still oh. 11. It goes to 11. <laughs> 11 isn't as horrific as the rest of them, though. Oh, that's good. It's vaguely standard just supposed compliant. to be really good. Oh, it is. Edge is a lovely browser, which is going away and being replaced by fake Chrome. Oh, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anyway. Also leaked, um, I think it was Mary Jo Foley got her hands on the planned pricing for extended support of Windows 7. So Windows 7's mainstream, i.e. free, support stops in January 2020. And from that point forward, if you're an organization and you want to keep running Windows 7, you will have to pay keep getting your security updates. And uh, Microsoft's plan for getting you not to do a Windows XP is that they will double the price every year. <laughs> that should focus minds. Year one, not too bad. Year two, ooh, year three. Ah! <laughs> That's awesome. Geometrically yes. increasing. I love it. That's yep. a great way to do it. Yeah, so that made me smile. You uh, can have I it. I know there will be. Yeah but we really don't want you to. And then finally, to end on a somewhat happier note, uh, WhatsApp updated the lock... Uh, up, sorry, let me say that all over again. WhatsApp can now be locked and unlocked with Face ID and Touch ID. And when I say locked, I really do mean unlocked. This is a terrible headline from the Mac Observer. Basically, Face ID to protect your WhatsApp. Yay! Nice. Uh, lots and lots of stuff in suggested reading. Um... we've been going for far too long, so I'm not going to dig into much of this. Um, Just want to stick a pin in. Um, Senator Ron Wyden and another senator who isn't as memorable as Senator Wyden, who's always doing good techie stuff, have instructed DHS in the United States to investigate foreign VPNs, something a lot of people use to avoid snooping weather ISPs and stuff. Uh, So... The question is, how hmm. safe is that as a practice? So that's probably worth checking out. So good. And what else gets a star next? So it's some, actually some fun stuff in opinion and analysis. Um, how hackers and scammers break into iCloud locked phones, in other words, activation locked phones, is interesting. It's, again, it's it's about hacking the squishy organic bit. <laughs> I was just going to say. But not necessarily the organic bit you think. Because an iCloud password reset can be initiated by Apple. So you can attack Apple support. They're also squishy humans. Yeah. Darn it. So, I mean, that's that's the case with everything, right? It it all involves humans. Uh, But it's interesting the lengths attackers are going to from at the point of robbery, sticking a gun in your face and making you sign out of iCloud on your phone before they steal it from you. So the thieves are smart enough to know that they can't just swipe your phone. They actually have to make you log out of iCloud or they can't resell your phone. Right down to, actually, there is one attack, which is quote-unquote rare, which involves no squishy organic bits. You 
open the phone, desolder the CPU, stick a fresh CPU in it, and give it a known free IMEI. Oh. Effectively turning it into a brand new phone. Yeah. Apparently that's rare and is only done in extreme cases. Huh. But, wow. Well, so <laughs> could they have done that with the um, San Bernardino phone? I don't know. I don't know what would happen to the secure enclave. My gut feeling is no. Mm. Or oh, they could have used it. It's just so you can resell it. Yeah, you can resell it. You can't get out the hacked data. That, that Once you do that, the secure enclave is gone because it's been replaced along with the new CPU. They're paired together. So you now have a bunch of pseudo-random noise. You then do a factory restore run and resell. Your aim here isn't to get the data. Your aim here is to be able to sell the phone. Okay. So it's somewhat, yeah, somewhat different. Yeah, that's a completely different thing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, an interesting piece um, on how to think about your digital identity. Uh, you should think of it in terms of three layers that build on top of each other. And the scary part is you can only protect one of those three layers. This is not exactly an uplifting analysis of modern reality, but I nonetheless actually think it's a very good way to start thinking about modern reality. And so it made for a very thought-provoking read. And finally, if you want to get your nerd on in a good way, um, so Naked Security, have, last time we pointed to the 2000-year history of cryptography from their new series called Serious Security. Well, they're back, same series. Now they're tackling another difficult problem. So uh, quantum cryptography, you've heard all the buzz. What's that all about? Hmm. So, and the Naked Security guys are actually very good at explaining complicated topics. So, you know, I'm a physicist by training, so I don't know how well I can judge <laughs> how well they did at explaining it to regular people. But I certainly think they did a good job. So I hope listeners agree. I'm going to put quantum uh, in front of everything I do. <laughs> this is uh, quantum security bits now. Oh, so we're in a superposition of your hair on fire and not on fire. Exactly. Actually, until we talk about the story, that's kind of true. <laughs> Anyway, uh, one palate cleanser, which uh, you allowed, you suggested, because I would have, I don't like to always do XKCD because I, I think I just love XKCD so much. So I was, I looked at it and I went, oh, that'd be a fun palate cleanser, but I won't. And then Alison, you said, why do we do this with palate cleanser? I'm like, yay! I, get to do I this don't one. remember sending this one. Are you sure it was me? But I like it. I, I also remember reading it. So maybe I did. I'm pretty sure you telegrammed it to me because I copied and pasted it out of Telegram. Oh, well. Very few people have my Telegram details because I only installed it because you told me to. <laughs> well, does that mean you want me to read it? Yes, please. Yes. All right. So there's a phone talking to a guy. I'm not quite sure why they're they're floating in. It they're looks in the like cloud. they're floating in the clouds. They're in the cloud, yeah. Ah, okay. There you go. So the phone says, welcome to social media. When you put stuff here, you have two options. One, you can make it available to a small set of 300 or so approved friends. Or two, you can share permanent copies of it all with billions of people, including internet scammers, random, random predatory companies, and hostile foreign environments or governments. The person says, why would anyone pick two? Phone says, two is the default. <laughs> says, yikes. So those are the only two options. There's nothing in between. The phone says, I don't understand. Like what? He says, well, I mean, there's like numbers between 300 and a billion. Uh, sure, name one. Pretty sure I would have heard of those. 
when he's when he gets it right, he gets it so so right. Right, right. And I presume you read the hover text because you always have to do that. Oh, you know what? I never think to do that. All right, let me go hover. It says, how about posts that are public, but every time a company accesses a bunch of them, the API makes their CEO's account click like on one of them at random so you get a notification. <laughs> nice. I always forget to hover on XKCD. I never remember that. Yeah, that's, that's the nerd in joke. <laughs> there you go. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I know we went a long time, but I think uh, for the amount of information you covered for us, that was an extraordinary effort, Bart. I, I, I feel like I've run a marathon. Well, good job. Security good job. Marathon. Yeah, so that takes that takes care of it for another two weeks. Goodness only knows what will happen in the next two weeks. But whatever it is, we'll talk about it. And uh, I guess I should say until then, stay patched and stay secure. Wow, that was a long show. We are at an hour and 59 minutes, but uh, I had a lot of fun. I hope you guys did too. That is going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at at podfeed.com. Remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. You want to become a Patreon? Podfeed.com slash Patreon. You want to join our Facebook group? Podfeed.com slash Facebook. Don't want to join our Facebook group, but you like to talk to other NoSilla castaways? Then podfeed.com slash Slack is the right place for you to join our Slack group. If you want to join the live chat during the live show, podfeed.com slash chat. And if you want to just find some Amazon affiliate links, what do you think you go to? Podfeed.com slash Amazon. And if you want to join in front of the live show, like Kurt, Jamal, and Kaylee did after very long absences, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.